And you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're just beginning a four-week series, our Advent series. It's called uh, The Story That God Wrote. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18, if you want to turn there right now. Well, if you're not a fan of superheroes, your movie-going experience has been incredibly limited over the past decade because what we've seen is that Marvel uh, is plotting to take over the movie world so that there are only Marvel movies coming out. Um, And one of the things that Marvel has done, which really, from a marketing standpoint, and for the purpose of people that love these movies and love to go see these movies, um, is they've created a universe, and it's really, it's called the Marvel Universe. And what that means is that whatever Marvel movie that you watch, there is something that is connecting all of them. There's, a, there's basically a, a universe filled with characters and stories, um, different but all interconnected and related. Basically what they're trying to tell, what Marvel is trying to tell you is that there's one grand narrative that they are trying to communicate to you through all of their stories. And we know that when we open the Bible, there's some similarities to it. We would say that the gospel is God's grand narrative. We talk about that at Substance. We talk about this, this creation, fall, redemption, uh, restoration uh, narrative that flows all the way through scripture. And we kind of just sang through some of that when we did our call to worship, which uh, indicates creation. And then we went into a, a time of confession where we go before the Lord. We remember that we're fallen creatures. And then we get to our assurance, which brings us to our redemption and uh, Jesus, uh, God sending Jesus to uh, atone for our sins. So within this grand narrative that God has wrote, there are many stories And there's all these stories that happen to just contribute to the one story that God is writing. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to look at this particular chapter in the story that we call Advent. And we're going to specifically look at some of the cast of characters that God used to write the story of God's birth. And here's what's different about God's story than what we might think of when we are um, getting ourselves all involved in the Marvel universe. Unlike Marvel, um, and these aren't extraordinary people. Uh, these aren't people with superpowers. These aren't people that were born with privileges. What we're going to see over the next four weeks is the story of a humble man. Today, we're going to talk about Joseph, the story of Joseph. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about an aging couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then in our third week, we're going to be covering King Herod, this wicked king who somehow God used to play in the story that he wrote for Christ's birth. And then at the end, we're going to look at some, just some scandalous sort of outcasts that God used in the line of Jesus to bring about uh, his birth. Um, And one of the great things that we're going to see is that these are people whose stories are a lot like our stories. And that's important for us, right? Because when we open God's word, we don't want to look at these people as being so different than we are right? We don't want to detach ourselves and think, no, 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 no. These are like superheroes. These are people that didn't put on their pants one leg at a time. These are people that had superpowers. Well, they really aren't and they weren't, right? These are people whose stories that we can find a lot of affinity with because they struggled with the same things that we did because they're flesh and blood people. So we're going to begin this morning with the story of Joseph, who by the way, was a conflicted dude, a conflicted man. 
And because of that conflict that he experienced, we can relate to him and we can feel a particular kind of compassion for him that we also are going to understand that God feels for us and that we should have on ourselves. So what do you do when life turns out different than you thought it was going to turn out? Like all you guys should be shaking your head on that one, right? What do you do when life turns out different than you thought it would? When you're faced with an unwelcome surprise that forces you into a decision that you never thought you were going to have to make. Do you do what's safe or do you do what's right? We admire people for doing the right thing, especially when it costs them. And we see how deeply it costs them. We just pray that we're never faced with something similar. We just pray that we're never faced with a conflict that forces us into a decision that might be risky. Joseph helps us answer this question this morning. Where is God in our conflict? And secondly, does he have compassion on us when we find ourselves in conflict? Let's pick up chapter one of Matthew, verse 18. I'm gonna read uh, verse 25 and then we're just gonna unpack these uh, seven verses. And it says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, be, well, turn to my pages here. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which was, Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here we have our brother here, Joseph, betrothed to be married to Mary. And by the way, back then, engagement was a little bit different than it is now. We can get engaged, we can make some plans, and then the snap of our fingers, we can just break it off, right? And there's not a lot of stuff that needs to get involved in that process if we decide to break an engagement. It was a little bit different back then. To be betrothed, to be engaged, was almost as good as being married with the exception that you weren't intimate and you weren't living together as husband and wife. Yeah, you hadn't, you hadn't began your life as it would be, but the betrothal was binding in many ways. And by the way, the year that they spent between betrothal and their wedding Man, the bride and groom, it was different than it was today. They spent very little time together, right? I guess it's different today, right? I mean, we have like first anniversaries for everything. You know, as soon as we start, the first anniversary of the first time I looked at you, let's get dinner, 
You know what I mean? So man, we make a big deal out of every little movement that happens from the day we meet each other to the day we walk down the aisle and then all the years afterwards, they spent very little time together. These were more like arranged marriages. And if you're a dad and you have a daughter, you're, not just, you're just not bummed out about that anymore, right? You didn't want it for you, but you're happy to have it for your daughter now. I am, it's not gonna happen, but I, but I would be. Um, but in this betrothal, in this time of engagement, it's found out, it's discovered somehow, it doesn't say how, but it's discovered that Mary is pregnant, but clearly Joseph is not the father. So it just takes us a minute to pause and imagine what happened and what was going on inside Joe when he finds out that his wife is pregnant. It didn't take him very long to realize what had happened, which was that Mary had been unfaithful. So now we have a man who thought he knew what his life was going to look like. He thought he knew the woman that he was going to be marrying, and then this happens. And so we have a man that is caught in conflict and betrayal. And then he has a decision to make. Do I want to make something public out of this? Or do I want this to be a private thing? Do I want to expose her shame, which was an option for Joseph, or do I just want to quietly divorce her? Now, there's a big difference between the two in that particular culture. To make it public would mean that the money Joseph was paying into her dowry to her father would be cut off. That has implications. It's financial implications. The other thing is that it could lead to death by stoning, depending on how it all worked out in court for Mary. So for Joseph to come into this situation of conflict, feeling betrayed like he did, man, there were options for him to make. And there were either going to be options that were going to allow him some vindication or to protect the woman that at this point he thought he knew. But what we read here in verse 19 is that Joseph was not only a man with choices, but he was a just man with choices. And her husband Joseph, it says, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Here's what's interesting about this in terms of how we can apply it to our lives is that God will bring you into conflict. Isn't that interesting? God will bring you into conflict to destroy the illusion you have of being in control. Here was a brother who thought he had the rest of his life mapped out. And just like that, everything goes into chaos. Everything goes into chaos. And that kind of brings us back to the control that we think we have of our own lives. And most of us don't have situations like this rolling out every day. And we have just tiny little things that remind us how not in control like we are, right? Every time I'm sitting there with like my Roku, like remote, and, like all, and I'm, watching, I'm watching some show and everything looks great, and all of a sudden the screen just goes blank. You know, I'm holding this control that I thought I had control of, right? Because it has a stop and a play and a fast forward button. 
And the whole thing just randomly out of nowhere, no explanation, because our Wi-Fi is so awesome, just cuts out completely, right? Get that thing, just throw it, you know what I mean? And like, that's it, right? A lot of control that we think we have, and we don't. Not even over the tiniest things like Roku, right? And I still don't know what that means. I remember, um, well, this would have been about 10 years ago, we were, we were visiting Ashland and we were considering uh, moving, relocating before we did, before we did uh, relocate. And I remember I got a call from my brother who, um, who is the, the owner, he runs the business that my dad left uh, when he passed. And uh, he called me while we were out here. And I remember he said, Ronnie, I'm in trouble. I said, oh no. I said, I'm in Ohio. I don't know how to help you. And he said, well, um, one of our biggest accounts, it looks like we might be, we might be losing the account because we, we screwed something up. And I said, our biggest account? I said, well, what's, it, what's that? I mean, you know, what, what percentage is, is, is that account, you know, in terms of all the other accounts we have? And he's like, 80%. And I said, well, that's not good. I'm not good at math, but that doesn't sound good, brother, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I remember getting this call and it's snowing outside and we're driving down a road going, what is this white stuff coming down from the sky? And uh, Melissa and I, we had this moment where we just said, you know what, there, there just is no control. And all the control that we're trying to sort of like assemble to make us feel more brave about this move that we're going to make to Ohio, it's all illusory. Just like it was for my brother, we can find ourselves in the midst of conflict, which reminds us of our lack of control at any moment. And this was the story of Joseph. And yet he was a just man and he decides to think and to put the woman that he thought had betrayed him before himself. And that says something about Joseph's character. Doug O'Donnell, he's a theologian, writes, on one shoulder, Joseph has the righteous requirements of God's law whispering in his ear. You have to expose her error. This sin cannot go unpunished. But then on the other shoulder is the compassion and mercy of God's law. So Joseph, what does he do? Well, he obeys his conscience in his conflict. Why? Because Matthew tells us that Joseph was a just man. Daniel Darling, real name, writes, Joseph was a faithful follower of God who would do right when it cost him the most. And so what does Joseph do? He resolves to divorce her quietly to not make a spectacle. And then we get to verse 20. It's interesting where he goes after that resolve. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph pauses. When you find yourself in the middle of a situation that is just has conflict bearing down at every corner, I think most of us find ourselves becoming frantic and wanting to make decisions as soon as we can, wanting to relieve ourselves of all of the chaos. We see Joseph as a just man doing something different here. He considers these things. He thinks about these things. The nature of considering is unhurried. It's that Joseph was unhurried, even though you can only imagine the weight and pressure 
that he's feeling after he gets this news about his life taking a turn that he was not expecting. So what does God do? God sends a messenger because boy, did Joseph need some good news. Well, what was the message? Well, it says in verse 20, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So we see two things happening as Joseph finds himself in conflict, making a decision as a just and righteous man is that God meets him in this place. And God does two things. He gives him assurance and he has him take action. So we see two things happening. We see assurance and we see action. We see the angel saying, Joseph, it's okay. What you're thinking about the situation would be expected, but it's actually not what you're thinking at all. Mary has not betrayed you. She has not cheated on you. This thing is of the Holy Spirit. Let me assure you that Mary is okay and she is trustworthy. And then with that assurance comes the action. It's God saying, now Joseph, you have some things to do. You have a role in this. She's going to conceive, she's going to bear a son, and you, brother, are going to call his name Jesus. It's great that Joseph, that Joseph finds out the truth, right? Does the truth make Joseph's life less complicated? Now, I don't know. Like, on one hand, like, I'm stoked that I find out that Mary is still the girl that I always dreamed she was going to be. I'm happy about that. On the other hand, when I find out that she's carrying the Son of God and that I'm going to be the earthly father of this kid, that adds another weight. And God is like that in our conflict. He gives us assurance, but he also asks us to take action. Why? Because obedience is costly. Because when you are called as a son or daughter of God, you're also called to risk some things. Why? Because righteousness, being righteous, is a risk. It comes with risks. What did it cost Joseph? I mean, what the heck? What did this cost this dude? Tim Keller writes this. He says, Everybody in that shame and honor society will know that this child was not born nine or ten months after they got married. He says they will know she was already pregnant. That would mean either Joseph and Mary had sex before marriage or she was unfaithful to him. And as a result, they were going to be shamed, socially excluded, and rejected. They are going to be second-class citizens forever. But Joseph was a just man and determined to put her away quietly even before he knew the truth. And when Joseph finds out the truth as a just, as a righteous man who was assured that Mary had been faithful to him, he counts the cost, he takes action, and he's obedient, knowing that for the rest of his life, him and Mary would be marked people in that society. So what should we do then when we find ourselves in a conflict situation like Joseph? What should we do? Well, let's look at it this way. How does Joseph respond 
as we look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. What does it tell us about how we should respond when we're faced with conflict? Well, the first thing would be this. When we look at Joseph, we see somebody who waited to see how God might act. So when we find ourselves in a situation where life has not turned out the way we wanted it to, we find ourselves in conflict with choices to make, what do we see in Joseph's response? We see somebody who waited to see how God might act. Joseph didn't have a lot of time, and yet he paused to consider how many times do we find ourselves in a mess of a situation we frantically just do the first thing we can in a way to alleviate some of the pain and some of the uncertainty and some of the unsettledness. We see a different pattern here with Joseph. We see that he was careful, that he considered, and that he paused. And I just got to tell you, that is not my first reaction. It's not my first reaction to wait and see how God might act. Secondly, to remember that you don't know what God knows. Joseph assumed this could be only one thing, but an angel told him differently. There was another way. How helpful would it be when we find ourselves in conflict like Joseph to remember that we can't possibly know what God only knows? How helpful would it be for us to remember that? Thirdly, imagine the good that God might do. Could Joseph have ever imagined how God would bless him through this difficulty? When he was faced with Mary's betrayal, could he have ever imagined what was really going on, that he would become the adopted father of God's son? Could he have possibly imagined that? But that helps us in our conflict, to imagine the good that God might be doing that we can't even fathom. And then fourth, how we should respond when faced with conflict is this, to do what pleases God most. Joseph believed God, and he obeyed. Reputation, slander, pain, Obedience doesn't mean the absence of any of those things. And interestingly enough, Joseph modeled what his adopted son did when faced with the greatest conflict the world would ever know. He believed his father. He believed that the words that the angel said were true and he acted accordingly. So how do we respond? How do you respond when faced with conflict? When life has not gone the way that you thought it was going to go? Well, you should wait. And you should see how God might act. You should remember you don't know what God knows. You should imagine the good that God might do. And you should always do what pleases God most. And then finally, what is this divine interaction with Joseph and the angel messenger. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God? Well, number one, it tells us that God calls his people into great conflict. What? So this Christianity thing, sometimes we don't realize what we signed up for. But if we'd open our Bible, we'd see that God calls his people into great conflict. Why? If God is good, 
Why does he call us into such great conflict? Well, we see it right here. To show his compassion for us. To show his compassion for us. Psalm 103.13 reminds us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is what's happening to Joseph right here. Then it says this, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do you think that there's a minute in your conflict that God forgets who you are? That he forgets your fragility? That he looks down upon you and says, it's unbelievable they can't withstand this. It's in our conflict that God shows his, his compassion towards us. Joseph reminds us that the lesser knowns, like himself, are not known less by God. Joseph, an ordinary guy, a carpenter, how deeply was he loved and known by God? And so I want you to think and meditate on this today. If God has this much compassion on us, shouldn't we treat ourselves like God does? Shouldn't we have compassion on ourselves when we are in a conflict when we've come to a place in life where things have not turned out the way we thought they would? Can you not be so heavy and so hard on yourself? Can you lift the expectations that you had for your life and let God instead come in with his compassionate heart as a compassionate father who says, I'm with you and I'm not surprised. So this interaction with Joseph tells us that God calls his people into great conflict. Secondly, it tells us that he called his own son into the greatest conflict. God showed his compassion on us by sending his son to be with us. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what this does? This helps you see God in a different light when life doesn't turn out like you thought it would. So when life throws you for a twist, you don't throw your opinion back at God with a new twist on his character, right? It reminds you that the story God wrote for his own son is part of the story God is writing for you and for me. A story of sinners born into conflict with God, whose only hope is a compassionate God to end the conflict. And this is what we get with Joseph, a man whose life did not turn out as he anticipated, a man who found himself steeped in conflict and the greatest thing that comes out of the situation is the compassion that God, his father, had for him in giving him the privilege of being the earthly father of his own son. And that same fatherly compassion is ours if we are his sons and daughters. 
This is the good news. Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you this morning. We bless your name. We read scripture. We read the story of Joseph. We see that you bring your people through great conflict. We see that you called your son into the greatest conflict so that you might show your compassion on us so that we might be able to see more vividly that the story you're writing includes us as part of a narrative to show your compassion on us at people who were born into a conflict so great that our only hope is to seek you. So Lord, we seek you this morning. We recognize that the coming of Christ, the birth of your son was necessary so that the conflict we have with you as sinners might end. So thank you for this story. Thank you for the testimony of Joseph, who was a real man 2,000 years ago that was faced with something unimaginable. Thank you for his modeling to us what it means to obey when there's such a great risk involved and such a great cost and how much that just simply models the story of Christ for us who paid the greatest cost so that our conflict with you might end. Lord, thank you for this truth that is a happy truth, that is a glorious truth, that is the truth of Christmas. Let it change us today. Let it carry us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.